And so, Lord, hear our prayers that we just sang, and we ask that you would answer them. In Jesus' name, amen. Church, we're going to be um, looking at Luke this morning, back in Luke, um, chapter 13, verses 18 to 30. And so as we um, prepare to hear the word, sometimes we get these little senses or nudges, and so I've gotten a couple of those as we were worshiping, and um, got them written down on a little post-it note here. I'm not sure exactly how how these fit, but um, this one I want to tell you right now. Um, When we're surrendering all, we're surrendering all to a loving God. And so today I believe the Lord wants to take his word, which is love, and just massage it into your hearts and into your lives. Just like if you were reaching into a soft Play-Doh and just feeling that Play-Doh and all, it seems like the Lord's word wants to just massage your heart with his love. Just work it in deeply. So let's look at Luke 13, and we're going to be looking at verses 18 through 30. Then Jesus asked, what is the kingdom of God like? What shall I compare it to? It is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his garden. It grew and became a tree And the birds perched in its branches. Again he asked, what shall I compare the kingdom of God to? It is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into about 60 pounds of flour until it worked all through the dough. Then Jesus went through the towns and villages teaching as he made his way to Jerusalem. Someone asked him, Lord, Are only a few people going to be saved? He said to them, Make every effort to enter through the narrow door, because many, I tell you, will try to enter and will not be able to. Once the owner of the house gets up and closes the door, you will stand outside knocking and pleading, Sir, open the door for us. But he will answer, I don't know you. Or where you come from. Then you will say, We ate and drank with you, and you taught in our streets. But he will reply, I don't know you, or where you come from. Away from me, all you evildoers. There will be weeping there and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourselves thrown out. People will come from east and west, north and south, and will take their places at the feast in the kingdom of God. Indeed, there are those who are last who will be first, and first who will be last. This is God's word for us this morning. 
And as sometimes I do in a sermon, I want to give you the main idea right up front. Um, This is the main idea. People who pursue knowing Jesus reflect the kingdom of God and take Jesus seriously when he says to make every effort to enter through the narrow door. This is the main idea of what's being, I believe, the Lord is presenting to us this morning. People who pursue knowing Jesus will reflect the kingdom of God, and they're going to take Jesus very seriously when he says make every effort to enter the narrow door. I want to tell you a minute about a person that I had the privilege of meeting several years ago at um, Calvin's Worship Symposium, Dr. Marva Dawn. I did not know her um, before I met her. I had not heard of her. Um, I think Dane was with me, but we went to um, the evening session that's free as they begin the symposium. And as we were waiting for it to start, which is kind of unusual, right, that I was there a little early, but was. And um, anyway, and so in comes this older couple, um, very nondescript, come in and sit down, and I think, oh, maybe somebody's grandparents, um, you know, are visiting their grandkids at Calvin. And um, so I strike up a conversation. Hi, how are you? Are you excited? Are you attending the symposium? Yes. And anyway, so then we... um, you know, talked a little bit more, and I, I was excited about I had not been, so I was like, well, what workshops are you going to? And so she mentioned a workshop, and anyway, um, didn't say any more. Um, enjoyed meeting her and her husband. The next morning, I went to the big plenary, um, big, large session in the Fine Arts Center, and who is the speaker that's going to not only be speaking once, but repeating, because this is one of the main speakers of the whole symposium, was Dr. Um, Dawn. She impressed me with her humility. She could have easily said, I'm one of the workshop leaders when I asked about workshop. She could have said, I'm here to be one of the main speakers. She was just such a sweet, humble woman. Well, when she got up to speak, she said things like this, your life is shaped by the end you live for. Think about that. Our lives are shaped by what we're focusing on at the end. I know somebody who loves soccer. He could tell you every team, where they stand in the rankings at any given moment. He can tell you players, their numbers, the teams they've been on. Um, His little kids are, um, you know, playing soccer. As soon as they're old enough to walk, they're kicking a ball around. Um, that is one of the means that he lives for, and yet he lives for Jesus, and he knows his scripture um, even better than the rankings, I'm glad to say, about soccer. But think about that. Where are our minds? What are we putting our attention on and our focus? Because it really is formative, and it shapes our lives. She said many, many, many wise things. As I listened to her talk, I didn't know that she had four master's degree and a Ph.D. from Notre Dame. I didn't know any of that. But what I did know was that I recognized somebody who had been in the presence of the Lord, who had marinated on God's word so much that what she said was very simple but profound. It was profound. She said things like this. She said, you know, she struggles with some sort of infirmity, medical problem. 
And she said, I think that so many people are looking in the wrong direction. She said, we look back and regret all the things that maybe we physically lost. And she said, instead of recognizing that God is very present with us now and that we can be looking forward to that time when we'll have resurrected bodies and there'll be no more weeping, she said, I think our focus is wrong. I think we're spending too much time looking back. Do you understand this is somebody who has been in the presence of the Lord that is walking in relationship with him so that she has a peace and a, a perspective that's shaped and formed by the very presence of God. She also um, said this, the goal of the Christian life is that for more and more seconds of each day, what we think and do and say is to God's glory, that every moment is worship of the true God. Every moment is worship of the true God, that we would live to bring glory to him and be cognizant, be thinking about him, so that what we do and say can bring glory to him, that we would worship him with our lives. Jesus, in this passage, is teaching us things about the kingdom, thinking about and trying to help us get this perspective of bringing glory to God and being aware of his presence. He's teaching on the kingdom of God, and in this chapter, just to refresh you, because we've taken a little detour, we went on a passage over in Hebrews, and now we're back. And so maybe some of you weren't here and didn't hear it, but we started out this chapter where Jesus was talking about repent or perish, and the fruit that wasn't there on that fig vine, and, you know, if it didn't bear, it was going to get cut down. Repent or perish. We're in the context where these religious leaders say that they're watching for the Messiah and they're living for God's glory, but they really aren't. They don't recognize Jesus and his glory after he's been healing and delivering and showing the love of the kingdom all around them. There's misperceptions about the kingdom. They're, the religious leaders are expecting that um, there's going to be this king that comes in and politically takes over and comes in strong and just um, changes everything immediately. Well, Jesus is saying the kingdom is starting slowly like a little seed. It's going to grow incrementally. What's starting small is going to go far beyond what you could ever imagine. Right? The Roman Empire is no longer. God's kingdom reigns for all time. And so there's these misperceptions about the kingdom. And he starts to teach them using these three parables. He's teaching us today about the kingdom. And in the first one, he starts to talk about a mustard seed, the smallest little seed that they could probably imagine that was common to them at that time was these little tiny mustard seeds. But yet they would be planted in the ground, and they expected to grow up to about a four-foot bush. Sometimes, research says, maybe 25 feet tall, So you see a guy standing there, and it's probably maybe about 12 or 15 feet, that tallest um, branch there. But the kingdom of God starts small, and it gradually grows and expands beyond anything that we could think or imagine. It's kind of shocking that it says that it becomes a tree. It becomes a tree. Not what they were expecting. They were expecting a bush. It becomes a tree, and that these birds perch in it. Well, for those who would know their Old Testament, 
they would look back and think about trees, and they probably would have thoughts about the um, Garden of Eden because a tree represented a canopy of protection and security under God. And so in the garden there were trees, and they were under God's protective canopy of love and peace. They also might think about King Nebuchadnezzar in the book of Daniel. And they might think about the story where King Nebuchadnezzar had a vision of a large tree with birds perched up in it, but then that tree was going to be cut down. And the meaning of that vision was that King Nebuchadnezzar had grown into this leader who provided a lot of, God used to provide a lot of security and have things in order. And yet because King Nebuchadnezzar was not willing to acknowledge that God was sovereign, he was going to lose his leadership position and that tree was going to get cut down. Then when he repented, it grew back up. And so these might be the things that people who knew their Bible, who knew the word of God, would be thinking about. And so the Lord helps us to be reminded of those things today, that when we hear about trees, that we can think about a canopy, that we can think about something that God might use to grow up in us and others and grow the church even to provide this canopy of peace and order under God's kingdom rule. Now the next parable, the next little story he uses, talks about flour, about 60 pounds of flour, which is a huge amount of flour being worked, um, having yeast being worked into it. Um, I bake sometimes, not often, but I do. Um, three and a half cups of flour will get you a batch of bread. Seven cups would get you a double batch. I don't even want to think about how many batches of bread you would have to mix up for 50 pounds of flour. But I can just tell you it's a huge amount. And these tiny little seeds, and remember we've talked about yeast before, how it multiplies and grows. It's the living organism coming up against something that's dead, the flour, and yet life comes and it starts to grow. And he says the kingdom of God is like yeast being worked into that flower. The kingdom of God, the rule and the reign, the love of God being worked into hearts. Romans 14 says this, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but a matter of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. And so righteousness, peace, and joy being worked into our lives. Yeast, the kingdom of God, being worked into lives. There's an emphasis on that working. In this passage, when it's talking about yeast in the kingdom of God, the woman is working that, and so there's an active part. It's not just a passive thing, but there's an activity that we participate in. Third little picture in this is this... um, the narrow door, this whole passage about the narrow door and them coming and the owner, you know, closing the door at a certain point. The door isn't open to everyone, and there's a point where God closes the door. And this is a reference to Isaiah where it talks about the final feast. So when he's making this reference, he's talking about the final feast, the time where all the believers will be gathered together Under God's kingdom rule forever and ever, there's not going to be any more weeping, no more crying. 
things are going to be in order. There's going to be shalom. There's going to be underneath the canopy of the tree of God's kingdom, peace, restored. And so they are listening to this and being told there's going to be a time when those that know me are going to come in and those that I say, I don't know you, I've never known you, and there's going to be a a surprise. There's going to be a very huge disappointment for people who thought they knew the Lord, but there really was not that personal relationship. There wasn't that connection. The narrow door. It begs the question for us, where do I stand with Jesus? Do I know him? Does he know me? This, you know, oh, well, we, we heard you teach. We had a meal with you. Well, I came to church. I came to potluck occasionally. That does not necessarily constitute a relationship with Jesus Christ. And so where do I stand with Jesus? There's weeping and gnashing of teeth. You can hear from the description of those that are left out how very, very good and desirable it would be to be in. Isn't Jesus gracious that he gives this warning? He doesn't just suddenly close the door, but he's inviting us all to consider, where do I stand with Jesus? Make every effort to enter. We hear so much emphasis on God's grace, and we'll hear it again in chapter 14, but today there's an emphasis on a response to his grace. This human divine cooperation, make every effort to enter. And I told you that occasionally I work with yeasto, not often, but my mom taught me how. And so what I know about it is that there's many, many steps. When you're making bread from scratch, there's many steps. And when you first start to work that yeast into the flour, it is stiff as can be. And you, Dane's mom taught me this. You have to beat it, you know. And her, her husband would say, Anne, don't make any more rolls because it hurts your shoulder every time. But she just made the best sticky buns and sweet rolls ever. But she would work this yeast into this dough, and it would be really stiff, But then you have to let these things, the flour, the butter, the um, yeast, all sit together in a bowl. They all sit side by side. You've mixed it up, and it sits there, and it starts to rise. These pockets of air start to form with the yeast. And what was very stiff and um, very difficult to work with, over time, becomes soft and fluffy And you just barely touch it, and that dough just molds right to however you want it to be, whatever shape you want it to be. You roll it out, you bake it. There's a lot more to it. The conditions around you have to pay attention to the humidity, the temperature, and adjust adjust it. All right? What does this have to do with our lives? I think it's a picture of how the Lord brings his grace into us, and we're really stiff at first. And somebody has to kind of stir us up and bring the word and kind of stir it into our hearts and in our minds and bring it to us. And then we need to sit with it and respond and yield to the work of the yeast, the kingdom of God, the goodness, the love of God starts to shape our hearts. It starts to change our minds. He starts to bring healing and hope to us. But 
It's make every effort. So put yourself and be allowed to let that yeast of the kingdom come to church. Be in a small group. Talk about the word. Be in God's presence. But let it sit and let it start to shape and mold you. There's something beautiful that God wants to do as we are aware of his presence. And I want to tell you a story about a young man named Nicholas Herman. Anybody know Nicholas Herman or heard of Nicholas Herman? He lived in the 1600s, so maybe you don't. Um, Nicholas Herman was a young man. They said that he broke just about everything he came in contact with. He's so gangly and awkward and um, all, and yet he came to know Christ. And he was converted, and he, started, he became aware. He heard that God was everywhere. And he started to think, well, what would it be like to be aware that God was present with me all the time? And so that became like a, a guiding thought in his life, is what would it be like to be aware that God was present with me and that whatever I would do, I would do for God's glory? And so he joined a monastery, and he didn't have the um, education to become a cleric, and so he worked in the kitchen. He worked in the kitchen, washing pots and pans. He did it from the time he was 20 until the time he was about 80. He stayed inside the monastery and washed pots and pans, meal after meal after meal, thinking about and being aware of the presence of God and doing it for his glory. Well, um, not only did it change his life and his perspective, but many, many people started to recognize that this place of his work was so holy, and he had such peace about him that people wanted to talk to him all the time. And so people would travel great distances to come and to talk to him. A book was written later of some of the things that he shared and his ways, and by the way, when he came into the monastery, his name he took was Brother Lawrence. And so Brother Lawrence said this, In order to know God, we must often think of him. And when we come to love him, we shall then also think of him often, for our heart will be with our treasure. And so do you see that little small mustard seed of the kingdom of God and recognizing the truth that God is present with him, started to impact and shape his life. And that just like that mustard seed, how did it grow so big? Day by day by day, it was growing. Day by day by day, the kingdom of God starts to grow in Brother Lawrence's heart so that his reach in life, we think about what might we do to serve the kingdom. Think about it. He washed pots and pans thinking about and being aware of the presence of God. And years later, hundreds of years later, we're hearing about him in church as a model to follow, to think about what would it look like to be aware of the presence of God in my day-to-day activities. He's a good example. What does it look like to be a little mustard seed or to be a little bit of yeast and have that yeast, the kingdom of God, worked into our lives, what does it mean for us? Recognizing that the kingdom of God, that Jesus, by his Holy Spirit, is present to us is a marvelous thought. 
But what does it mean and how do we cooperate then that he is with us? R.A. Torrey wrote um, a little book that some, a number of little writings, and I read one of them this week. It's The Secret of Abiding Peace. And he talks about being aware of God's presence should impact everything every day of the week. And we might respond to his presence in this way. Because you're with me, God, please speak to me. Apply the word as I read it. And so God is present. Lord, would you speak to me through your word? Lord, because you're with me, help me speak to you and pray. And help me listen to you as you respond to my prayers. Thankfulness. If God is present, might we express our gratitude to him? And as we start to thank him, it causes us to just that much more appreciate and love what he does for us and who he is in our lives. Worship. As we bow and contemplate him, he draws near and he reveals his glory to us. And so being aware that he's present, just like the yeast and the flour together, because he's present with us and his kingdom is present, Lord, would you help me? Would you show me how, as I read my Bible, would you speak to me? Would you apply it to my life? So the word, prayer, thankfulness, worship, these practices that we enter into as believers certainly are making every effort to enter that narrow door. Do you understand He's present. How do we respond to his presence? And that's certainly growing a relationship where he's going to recognize us. He's going to recognize our voice because we've been talking with him. We've been present to him even as he's present to us. And as the kingdom of God grows in our lives, we live with eternity in mind. And so I was thinking about this. Lord, what does this, what does this mean for us? How is this practical and relevant for us today? If we're living with the eternity of the kingdom in mind, we're going to keep looking forward because the best is yet to come. This isn't all there is. The kingdom is being manifested. It was when Jesus was present. He's present in us now. And the kingdom is manifested in ways Beautiful, glorious ways, but even the best is nothing in comparison to what is to come. Jesus takes our lives that maybe no one thought was going to amount to anything. Maybe at the best we're going to be a little four-foot mustard bush. And the Lord can grow us up into a tree, into have our lives impact so many people. How? by recognizing that he's present and focusing on his presence with us moment by moment and day by day. And as we do that, what does this mean? That we are never alone and we realize that no matter what we're going through, he is with us. When we're tempted to sin, we realize that he's with us and he's watching us. I read a little note that said, you know, when you realize that somebody's watching you, you're not as likely to do that thing that you would be embarrassed for anybody to know. Well, what would it look like then to be aware and be cognizant that the Lord is with us? And so he's watching us and he knows. And so we can turn to him rather than turning to whatever that temptation is. When we face health issues, he's with us. He brings his peace, the, the shalom of the kingdom. 
so that no matter what we're facing, a health issue, a financial issue, a relationship issue, he's with us. And not only is he with us, but we can ask him, Lord, you are the great counselor. Would you give me some counsel right now? Would you show me what to do? How might I respond? This is living in a dynamic relationship with Jesus, who is our king and the one who will tell his father, yes, all my invited guests are in now. Go ahead and close that door. He's going to recognize our name. We're going to have spent time with him. He's going to recognize our voice. And I, I just believe that this is what it looks like to make every effort to enter that narrow door. Let's pray. Lord, would you massage your love into our hearts right now? Lord, would you open us up to want to surrender all, to want to be open about every aspect of our lives? Lord, our joys, our concerns, our questions, Lord, we don't want those to become idols in our lives. Lord, we don't want those things to take up and preoccupy our time and our thoughts. Lord, would you be our preoccupation? Would you be the focus of every moment, of every day? Lord, build your kingdom in our lives and let us be used for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.